I am so excited about being in the Christmas season. I'm so excited about Advent. One of my favorite things about um, just what we get to um, enter into as followers of Jesus is the reality that though things like Christmas are wonderful even without Jesus, they're, they're really cool, don't get me wrong, there is just something about when you actually know the reason for the season, when you actually recognize that the reality is we are in another waiting period. There was this reality that a long time ago with brokenness and sin, we were in a season of waiting for a Savior to come, and he came, and he died, and he lives, and we get to live because of that, and now we sit in a period, too, where we are waiting for Jesus' return, and someday he's going to come back, and he's going to make all things new, and I can't wait, and Christmas reminds me of that, and it reminds me of some of the awesome gifts that we get to receive because Jesus lives. How many of you guys have started your Christmas shopping? Anyone? I like Lion's Gear, um, coffee, um, food, so just you can add that to your lists if you needed help. Um, Now, how many of you guys are already at that place where you've started to buy gifts, but if you're honest, you're already worried that you hid them too well that you're not sure if you're going to find them? Anyone? My mom was notorious uh, for hiding gifts to a point that it was like so bad that it would be like three years later she would find something she got for my brother and I would be with her and she would be like, not a word. And I feared her enough that I did not say a word until many years later. Um, you know, it's interesting, right? A, a gift is, is beautiful no matter what. It, it is wor- worth so much no matter what. But the truth is like a, a gift that never gets opened, never gets used, feels a little bit lackluster. It feels as if it is um, uh, a, a promise, a, 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 a love offering that never really gets to be fully realized. Uh, as we begin and enter into this Advent season, uh, our goal is, as we enter into this new series called Go Tell It, uh, Unopened Gifts of Grace, we, we've been praying and talking uh, about this reality that um, we believe that there are so many people, even people who are well-meaning people who come to church and things of that nature, who they have gifts in their life that are byproducts of the grace of Jesus Christ in which are unopened. Because I find in, in, in encounter people who even maybe come to church like that who, who lack a sense of real hope, um, whose life is not marked by joy, who it feels as if there's very little peace in their life, and as a result, there's not a lot of love streaming out of their life to others, and they don't really feel like they're experiencing all the love from their Heavenly Father. And so in this series, our goal is going to be looking at these gifts that God has given us through his son Jesus. We're going to look at how can we enter into and engage in these better, and also in a world that is just desperate for hope and joy and peace and love and is looking for all of those things in all the wrong places, we really want to take up the, the, the calling that Jesus placed on his followers to go and tell. So part of this series is going to be really talking about and encouraging and, 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 and having us really be open and prayerful about maybe there are people in our sphere of influence, in our life, in our relationships in which God deeply wants us to be the carrier of the light to their friends who are in dark places. That there may be friends that you have the opportunity to be a part of them 
opening these gifts of grace that they didn't even know existed. When I was in college, I worked at a summer camp. And uh, it was a really fun one called Spring Hill, and it was a really big one. And we had tons of... um, we had tons of, of campers and counselors, and, and I at one point worked uh, as what we called an area director, where I would be in charge of like seven to ten college-age counselors, and uh, it was gender-specific, and then each counselor might have, I don't know, six to, six to 12 kids in their um, cabin, and, and I would be in charge of this area group. And in, in the, the, the camp center that I worked at, it was fourth through sixth graders. And uh, one of the highlights is at the end of the week, we would play a game called M&M Wars. And essentially what would happen in M&M Wars is it would be the boys versus the girls. And we would be set up in this wooded area. And there would be a boundary marker for the halfway point. You couldn't go out of bounds. And on each side, there would be a bucket or two. And the goal essentially would be you would be given M&Ms and you were trying to go behind enemy lines and trying to get your M&M in the bucket before you got tagged. If you got tagged, you had to hand over the M&M to the other person, they could eat it. I'm gonna be honest, would not recommend eating those M&Ms. It's quite uh, sweaty and... Anyways, awesome game. Now, one of the most fun parts about it as being kind of the counselors and, and the adults was the excitement and the hype. And there was one week in particular that I learned about the power of hope. You see, there was this summer where we were on a streak where the girls had beaten the boys like six weeks in a row. Now, here's the thing. Fourth through sixth grade, boys versus girls, they're more developed, they're more athletic. Like, those boys didn't stand a chance anyways. But they're also, for whatever reason, seemed like there constantly was more girls at camp than boys. Now, it was such a big camp center that we would have to do certain things in shifts. We couldn't all fit in the, the cafeteria at the same time, and so oftentimes you would have one group of, of, of people at the cafeteria while another one was doing like an evening activity, a game like M&M Wars. For whatever reason, my, camp, my, my, my area had the misfortune where we got paired up with us, which was maybe 40 to 50 people total, boys total, Um, against a couple girls' camp center areas, which totaled more like 125. And so we were just sitting there thinking, like, we have no hope of winning. We usually don't win even if we have the same number, but let alone this, what is going to happen? And so uh, as we began thinking, I can't say praying because it wasn't that spiritual, uh, my, my best friend Jacob and I devised a plot He uh, was an area director for another group who had a flexible enough schedule that they could change things up. And so we decided we were not going to tell either of our boys' groups that they were going to join one another. And we decided we definitely were not going to tell the girls what was about to happen. And so one of the fun things about M&M Wars is you would oftentimes, you would get face paint on and, and you would give speeches that were like a combination between like win one for the Gipper and 300 and, uh, uh, you know, the, the roosters are crowing at midnight if anyone's ever seen uh, Mighty Ducks and Braveheart and you're just yelling freedom and you'd get them pumped up. But needless to say, even though we got the, the, the boys in our group pumped up, they're standing there. I mean, it is like, you know, 40 of them versus all these girls who are taller and all that sort of stuff. And so my friend Jacob and I had worked out a thing. I, I, I'm unsurprisingly a, a fairly loud person. And so uh, oftentimes you would get down there and the boy counselors, area directors, uh, and the girls would, would, would have like a playful, um, in Christian love, trash talking session. 
uh, where we'd be trying to hype up our troops and things like that. And so I tried to give my best rousing speech about how even when you are outnumbered, there still is hope. Even when you feel like all hope is lost, sometimes you just have to look to the east. Now that was the signal. When I said we just have to look to the east, there was like 50 or 60 little adolescent boys and some college-age boys running down just, Those guys could have ran through a brick wall after that. Needless to say, the girls' uh, victory uh, uh, streak ended that day. Uh, We won by one single M&M. Thank you very much. Let's go. But I was reminded on that day how much humans need hope. There's something about when we have a sense of hope, even though in that situation in particular, the odds were still stacked against us, there was something about that sense of excitement and confidence and joy that made it feel like maybe we can make it. Today, we're going to be talking about hope. And hope is this beautiful, unopened gift that I think so many people don't open up. In fact, I I fear that one of the reasons why many people have no desire to know Jesus, to, to enter into a church and things of that nature, is because they have met a lot of people who would call themselves Christ followers, who seem to live a life that is not marked by a lot of hope. Because the truth is, hope takes courage. Hope takes, hope takes courage to actually have. And the interesting thing, too, though, is that a courage isn't in, or our hope we don't put in circumstances or feelings or things like that. Hope is all about knowing that you are not alone and that help is on the way. This morning, as we talk about hope, if you want sort of a, 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 a small biblical definition of what I mean by hope, Hope is the confident expectation uh, that God, of what God has promised. It is this confident expectation, this, this, this belief that God will do what he said he will do. And here's one of the really difficult parts about hope, if I'm honest, is we live in such a instantaneous, um, never-wanting-to-wait sort of culture. I mean, you, you think about it, like, do you, do you guys remember, some of us are old enough in this room to remember what it was like to be bored, right? Where you'd like, you know, rode a school bus and look down at your feet, right? You, you know, your, your entertainment used to be looking for deer, right, while you're, while you're driving through the country roads. We don't live in a, in a culture like that anymore, which makes, I think, hope even more difficult because we want things to just happen like that. And yet hope teaches us, it refines us to actually have faith and confidence in our God, to take him at his word. This morning, what, I, what I'd like to do with our time as we talk about hope is I, I wanted to go back to the beginning, which I think if I'm counting right, I think I'm on like my fourth or fifth series in a row that we're starting in Genesis. So sorry about you. It's just fun, okay? And I want to go back to the very first promise of the Messiah, of the Savior of the world. And if you remember the story, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He makes it perfect. It's all good. It's all great, right? He puts these two people in this garden, Adam and Eve, tells them there's one thing. Don't do this one thing. In, in, in classic human fashion, what do they do? They screw it up. They do the one thing they're not supposed to do. And as sin and shame enters into, this, into our world, As there begins to be separation from us and our creator, which we were not designed to experience, 
God begins to tell his creation, his children, the consequences of their actions. Because as we've talked about many times around here at South Creek, while there is so much grace, and grace changes everything, there still is oftentimes consequences for our sin, for our rebellion. And as he is uh, telling Adam and Eve they're going to have to leave the garden, he's telling that things are not going to be exactly how he had planned anymore. He gives them a glimmer of hope. And as he's casting away the the devil snake, and as he's talking to his children, he says this, in Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now this, he is talking to Satan, he's talking to the enemy, and he lets him know that, that, that there's going to be tension, there's going to be warring that's going on, but he lets him know that someday there will come an offspring from my children who someday will crush your head once and for all. Now, the story of the Old Testament is long and weird and beautiful, a lot like middle school, right? And it's such an interesting story because if you were to look at the whole thing, right, it's constantly this story of, this, of a loving God who desires to over and over redeem and restore our broken relationship. He does it through family. He does it through promises and covenantal relationships. He does it through these judge warriors. He does it through kings. He does it through prophets. He does it through all sorts of things. He does it through prostitutes. He does it through ordinary people like you and me who don't have all of our stuff all together, and he uses us anyways, which is incredible. And God continued to make sure that he would have his promises come true. About 700 years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah is speaking, and this is in a time period in which the Israelite people are in a bad place, things are not going well, and why is it? Because they've done dumb things again. And God speaks words of hope when he says this in Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations, and you have increased their joy. I love the words of uh, the the prophet Isaiah here, where, where he talks about how this light has dawned. Things are beginning to change. There's something rising. You know, it's interesting. Um, if, have you ever sat out in the morning? Uh, it, maybe you were hunting or maybe you were just hiking or something like that. It's interesting how there are moments where it feels like it takes forever for the light to get there. And then it's wild because oftentimes once it gets there, it really starts to go. But it's so beautiful. Desmond uh, Tutui uh, says this about hope in light and darkness, and I love it. He says this, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. One of the beauties of the Christian faith to me is this reality that even though we live still in a world full of darkness, we see the light. And because we see the light, we have hope. And because we have hope, life is different, and life is is better. The prophet Isaiah would go on in chapter 9 to say this, the the, the famous Christmas verse, this promise of a Messiah, of Jesus, 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, I love that because one of the things that reminds me is, guess what? We're living in that time already. Like, I don't know if you realize, but Prince of Peace has already came. We already have a mighty counselor, a wonderful counselor. We have a mighty God. We have an everlasting father. His reign is already happening. Is there still junk and darkness in our world? 100%. But we know that we have hope because the king of kings has already started to set up shop. Some of us need to open our eyes and see where the light is. Now, story of the Old Testament. We have this happen. Years of chaos and things like that continue to go on. And then what's wild about the story of Scripture, what's wild about the faith, what's wild about how God is so good is the fact that it's interesting. There's a 400-year gap from the last time that we have things written in the Old Testament until when Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, that doesn't mean God wasn't working, God wasn't speaking, but it means there is nothing that we necessarily know of great things uh, going on. And it reminds us that hope teaches us that we might not be able to see or hear God, but he is surely still working in the background. We just need to hold on and keep hope. It also teaches us this thing that God has been um, stirring in my soul, reminding me over and over the, the last handful of weeks, is that a prolonged promise is an invitation to hope. I don't like waiting. I, I'm not one who likes to just sort of sit back and, and hope everything comes together, if I'm honest. It's one of the hard parts about faith for me is if I'm honest, I want to take a little bit of control. I want to be able to stack the deck to make sure things go exactly the way I want it. I just want to get to the awesome rewards. And yet one of the beautiful gifts of hope, one of the beautiful things about the way that God works, how he oftentimes makes us wait on the promises, is in the midst of the waiting, he is working. And oftentimes, one of the places he's most working is inside our hearts. You know, I think about as a parent often, there are things that I have to choose to do for my boys that are not fun. There are moments where I just want to give them things immediately. I just want to help them and give them the the answer, right? And we, we know, like, part of being a good parent is allowing them to have to develop resiliency and perseverance, that they need to figure out who God created them to be. And in the same way, there's something about as we are waiting, oftentimes we need to look for where is God working in and through our lives and where is he trying to teach us and refine us. Because while we're waiting, God is working. And while we are hoping, God is oftentimes healing. But here's the thing why I think so many people struggle with hope, struggle putting their hope in Jesus, is that hope may not look, may look different than what we expect or what we want. You know, 
Part of the biblical story is over and over, God showing up in giving the people what they need and them seeing it as something they don't really want. There's moments in scripture where the people say they really want a king and God just tries to say, I'm your king. That's not what I want. There's so many people who put their hope in so many things that are broken, so many things that will leave them bankrupt. They want to put their hope in things that, to be honest, cannot handle their expectations. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is the fact that even though how he came, how he lived, how he still lives, how he invites us to live may not look like what we think we want. He gives us everything we need. So all this time in the background, these promises coming to fruition over and over. And in the Gospel of Luke, we we begin to see the culmination of these promises, of these hopes, these prolonged promises. Mary, this virgin, is Uh, greeted by this angel Gabriel. And and these are the words that the angel says to her in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and that kingdom will never end. Now, it's this beautiful story, right? Weaved throughout all scripture, through so many different people. Um, Years ago, we did a series, and and, and someday maybe we'll do it again, but if you've never done some of the studies, I oftentimes, when I find genealogies in scripture, find them boring and just want to skip over them, if I'm being real. Mainly because I have a Bible degree, but I can't say half the names in the Bible. One of the interesting, most awesome things is when you look through the genealogy of Jesus, again, you find prostitutes and murderers. You find cowards and kings. You find all sorts of people. And through that, we see that promise. In Genesis, we talked about this promise, right? That someday, out of the offspring, God would raise up someone would crush the head. There's a painting I want you guys to take a look at that was done um, by Sister Grace Remington. And it's, uh, to me, it's just so beautiful. And and, I mean, if you've never seen it before, just uh, take a moment to really look at it. Um, To me, there's something so beautiful about seeing um, hope personified. If you can't tell, that, that is Eve right there. And she's holding an apple and And in some ways, I think there's that piece of just shame, and she feels like she's still wrapped up by the serpent. She's tangled in her sin and her shame. And then we see Mary, and we see Eve embracing the life that is coming, the one who will crush them. And we see Mary's foot already beginning to show that no longer does the enemy have an upper hand. I I, I love this picture. because I think it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful for us to be reminded during this Christmas season that our God is a God who takes us from death to life, from pain to the promise. 
and that no longer do we have to live in darkness. No longer do we have to be entangled by sin. That hope has arrived. And we know where our hope comes from, right? I love the words that um, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15. He says this, may the God of hope. I I love that idea of, of who is our God. He is the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not need to be people wandering in darkness, lacking hope. Yesterday, uh, I had the honor of getting to be uh, a part of my dear friend Mike Still's celebration of life. And one of the things that um, was so joyous and wonderful is, is to have known Mike so well and, and watched him in the way that he loved Jesus and he trusted in Jesus um, was to get to proclaim to his friends, to his family, that even though we have sorrow, we also have joy. And even though we also have pain and frustration, we have hope because we know where Mike is. We know that Mike's hope was in Jesus. We know that Mike's heart is held by Jesus. And we know that because of it, someday we too may be with him. Friends, this morning, I I want you to know um, that true hope comes only from Jesus and it's for all people. There's not a person that you have ever met in your life who the hope of Jesus Christ isn't for. The big question, as we talked about this idea of unopened gifts, is whether or not they will open the gift, whether or not they will embrace it, accept it, whether or not they will put their hope in him who is so, so good. Because the beautiful thing about when we put our hope in him, it doesn't doesn't matter what our circumstances look like, it doesn't matter what the outlook of our world is is, is making us feel um, When we trust in him, nothing in this world can shake us. Nothing in this world can throw something so bad at us that we are left bankrupt and broken. Because we know he is good. He holds us. Here's the thing. People desperately need to know the hope that they can have in Jesus. And we need to go tell them about it. Fear we've lost that. I've read statistics in recent years where it's really interesting because there are um, people who identify as followers of Jesus, but they, they talk about statistically how some of them actually think it's a bad thing to try to get people to um, like surrender to Jesus. Um, I've found statistics where um, it, it's pretty uh, pretty low number of percentage of practicing. Um, Christians, people who come to church often, um, when asked when was the last time they shared their faith with someone else, it's pretty low, maybe like one person a year, if that. And I think about it, right? Like, this is the greatest news in history. This is the thing that defines what many of us would say is, is who I am. We have to be willing to allow God to, 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 to create a sense of desperation in our heart to actually go tell people. And not to be annoying, not to be judgmental, but to be people who are saying like, I know what it's like to not feel hope. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, I love these words talking about hope. 
Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The beautiful thing about our hope is it's not something that is like this stagnant little thing. It's not this one thing we open one time. You know, it is, as uh, Cousin Eddie would say, it's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. And if you know that movie, you're a sinner, and I'm glad you're here with us. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. Peter would go on by saying this in 1 Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. The one who you actually fully pledge your allegiance to, you give your all to. And he says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Some of us maybe today need to actually think through, why do I have the hope that I have? If someone was to ask me, like, what would I say to them? Because again, there are people who desperately need hope. I want to end this morning um, by telling you a story and Pastor Cole's going to come up in a moment and sing one last song. Um, but, you know, t- to me, one of the things I've been reflecting on uh, in this um, Advent season already is, is just my own need for hope. And, and, and to be reminded of the moment of desperation where it felt like there was no hope. You know, I've been there before. I've been there before in those moments where I thought I was all alone, where I thought no one cared I remember in particular, there, there was a moment um, of, of true fear in my heart. I, um, many of you know, I grew up in West Michigan, and we grew up close enough to um, drive to Lake Michigan often. And so it was the very first um, week of, of summer break. I was going into my senior year, and uh, a group of friends, we decided, like, we're going to go to Lake Michigan. It's going to be wonderful. And yes, I know it's cold, but, like, we're, we're tough, okay? Um, and so we, we go there, we get to the beach, and immediately a bunch of us guys are like, let's just run in and, and swim out to a sandbar as far as we can. And I've, I've swam in Lake Michigan all my life. I'm not, like the, I'm not Michael Phelps or anything, but I'm all right, swimmer. And um, I remember beginning to swim out. And slowly, something inside of me, um, still as they don't really know what, um, but just shut down my body. Well, I didn't feel like I could swim. I didn't feel like I could move. And, and there is a, there's a real fear in one's heart when you are physically, but also even emotionally, feeling like everyone is swimming fine and I'm standing still. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going to die. As a teenage boy, I'm like, I want to get married. Come on. But I remember that feeling of, like, no one's going to notice Remember that feeling of like, is this really it? Thank God my friend Adam um, turned around and saw what was going on. I swam back, and he helped me to shore. And, man, I think about that in just a, a spiritual sense of how many people, if we were honest and opened our eyes up, we would see... I just barely treading water. 
and who probably feel like they're sinking and they don't have any hope. And the greatest gift that you could give them is to swim over to them, to let them know that they're not alone, that hope is on the way, and that they too can live. This morning, I hope and pray that maybe if you have not been living into the hope that you have in Jesus, that maybe today is a new day for you. Or that maybe if there's someone in your life that you can think about, like a name just arises into your heart, then maybe it's time to swim out to them, to let them know that they're not alone, to let them know that even though things are dark, just keep going towards the light. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to sing uh, one last song together? And, um, part of the song we're going to sing is Go Tell It on the Mountain. And... As I was researching for this series, one of the things that was interesting to find out is Go Tell It on the Mountain was originally, um, it, it was written in, in the early 1920s, but most people believe that it originally was a old Negro spiritual that would have been sang by African American slaves for years. And one of the things to me when I, when I heard that and I thought about that song, what I love about it is you have these people who would have been living in bondage and in slavery, in awful circumstances. And, and to be honest, if I'm just being real, I think I would have felt not a lot of hope. And one of the things that I love that we learned from our brothers and sisters, whoever wrote this, was this idea that we can, we can sing for joy and hope. We can proclaim the good news even when things don't feel great. And so would you guys pray with me as as we're going to continue on in worship. Father, thank you again for the hope that we have in you. Father, would you help us to fully just trust in you, that you are good, that you are enough, that, Father, we would stop looking for hope in things that can't hold us, that we would stop looking for saviors who don't care about us, and that, Father, we would fully just embrace you. Father, I pray this morning that you would give some of us the courage to just cry out to you and say, I need you, Father. I feel like I'm sinking. And would they know that all they got to do, Father, is just confess and repent of their sin and ask you to be the Lord of their life and that there would be a party going on in heaven, that they would have hope that goes beyond this world. And Father, some of us, I know, just need to feel the sense of conviction and kicking our pants because we know there are people who are struggling around us, who just need to know that there's hope. And maybe all they need is someone to just show up and put their arm around them and tell them, we're going to do this together. That God hasn't left you, that even though the promise might feel prolonged, that hope is just around the corner. Father, whatever you want to say to us, however you want to speak to us, would you just give us the courage to listen and respond to whatever you call us to? In Jesus' name I pray.